Hello everyone, welcome back to For the Girls for our Belgian Grand Prix recap. We are very excited to be back after the break and this race did not disappoint. Also, we were so excited to see that a bunch of you guys were on Discord chatting about the race and some of you guys even became friends through it and met up for a watch party in New York City. So that makes us very happy and definitely more in that space on meetups and everything coming soon this fall once we're back from our trip and settled into our routine. As always, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at F1RTheGirls and definitely join us on Discord. A lot's going down. So with that, I'm Chessa. I'm Sarah. And I'm Tiggy. Okay, so getting into our main takeaways from the weekend. I am coming at you live from Norway. It is cool to be on European time for a European race. Uh, For me, in order for the rest of the season to not be supremely boring, I think it's going to have I'm going to have to turn my focus to the midfield teams and either create or pay attention to some spiciness or rivalries down there. I think we know Max and Red Bull are winning both championships. It's not really a debate at this point. They were just in a league of their own this weekend and frankly have been for a lot of the season. So In my opinion, there's not a ton of interesting things to discuss there, except for maybe questioning how Checo is going to perform the rest of the season. I think P2 is a great result on paper for him, but 18 seconds behind Max when he's in the same car and started over 10 places ahead makes you wonder. Ferrari, meanwhile, is up to their same old antics, and Mercedes disappointed me this weekend. So Unless the Mercedes-Ferrari race for second in Constructors heats up, I think we've got to find some other stories to keep us entertained, like the McLaren-Alpine fight for fourth or potentially a new wildcard era. I don't know. Albon was looking pretty good this weekend. I don't know who or what, but please give us something fun to hang on to outside of the top. I am coming to you from Dublin where I'm visiting family. So it was fun watching the race and talking about all things F1 with my cousins and hearing their perspectives. Some of my cousins who live in Dublin, London are super into it. So my main takeaway, as Tiggy was saying, is Max and Red Bull are winning both titles handily. And I think we'll a thousand percent deserve it, both titles as an organization. Max started in P14 and won the race by 18 seconds, which is just insane. He made it look so easy, just banging out easy overtake after easy overtake. So it's really worth emphasizing just how wild that is. Max is now 93 points ahead in the championship and the driver in P2 is not Charles anymore. It is now Checo. Yes. So <laughs> I'm so happy. Yeah. Really, Max could wrap this up pretty early this fall. It's hard because I'm a Red Bull fan. It's great enough one to see perfect performances from a team, but Red Bull as an operation right now is kind of too flawless to the point that it's taking away any chances of a more spicy or fun battle at the back end of the season. Ferrari continues to mess things up, and as we saw this weekend, even when they aren't necessarily messing things up to a huge degree, they just somehow still manage to make things look sloppy and chaotic and make everyone question what they're doing. <laughs> yes, retweet to everything that Sarah that Sarah and Tiggy just said. For me, overall, this just does not feel like the fresh start that I was hoping for after the break, aka a nice dramatic mix-up. With all of the grid penalties, I really thought we'd have a better shake-up. Some people would get second chances. So like, why did Lando be Danny? I would have loved to see Danny come ahead of Lando. Why did Ferrari still disappoint me and be all confusing? Why didn't Checo hold the win? So 
a lot of things that I wish would have happened, but overall, you guys are right. I definitely – my main takeaway here from this is Red Bull is just going to dominate. So what about our hot takes, Sarah? My hot takes were a checkout podium, and my exact quote was Ferrari choke in some capacity. So <laughs> I'm going to give myself an A. But in Ferrari's slight defense, Charles was also very much victimized by a visor tear-off, a.k.a. a little piece of plastic. So – more just the universe choking Ferrari in some sense. <laughs> that hits so that hits so close to home. Very true. Yeah, Sarah, those are pretty good. I unfortunately did not have the same. I said Lewis win, which was uh, a crash and burn on my part. He definitely seemed like he had a chance with all the penalties, but what heartbreak for the Lewis fans. It was nice to see him take responsibility for the incident, but I don't know, tough to see as a fan and also was really disappointed in Alonso's behavior. So all around, just not great on the hot takes for me. Mine was both Red Bulls on podium. So I'm going to give myself that. Sadly, Lewis on podium obviously did not happen, but I definitely did anticipate Ferrari being on the back foot as per usual. So going to give myself that as well. For my MVP, I hate to say this, but definitely Max. It was just as flawless a drive as you'll ever see. Wow, Chessa. Okay. I know, it hurts. I was also going to say Max, but I think I'll go with Red Bull as an organization minus the notable minus of Helmet Marco, which we'll get into. Um, but yeah, we will we will discuss. But I think as an organization, just seeing Checo drive so well, they did a 2.2 second pit stop for Checo. Great strategy call starting Max on soft. So just everyone in that team is really firing on all cylinders. Yeah, got to give credit where credit is due. Superb race for Max, but I'm going to go with someone different to keep things interesting. I'm going to say Ocon. I would say Alpine as a whole, but I'm mad at Alonso, so I'll highlight Ocon's drive to pick people off one by one, including a beautiful double pass of Vettel and Gasly. Alpine is making their strong case for fourth in constructors, so we'll see if that holds up. How about LVP? Tiggy, what's your what's your LVP? I'm going to say Ferrari. I think we didn't necessarily see Monaco-level strategy fumbles from them, but they didn't really seem to get much right either. I think we all hoped that they would come back strong from the break, and that is not what we got. So sad to see. Mine is Alonso. I'm just not here for the pettiness. You've caused enough drama already. Like, Please just come back after the break under the radar and just drive. Don't be going crazy with your radio. So I'm going to have to go with Alonso. Amen. Oh, that's such a good one. Same on the pettiness. I'm going to, I guess I'm big on the organizations today. I'm going to go with McLaren as an organization because you don't have to kick someone when they're down. I can't believe, I feel like they're being mean to Danny Rick as they're firing him, which is just unnecessary. So speaking of, let's hop into the news. And first off, the huge thing is Daniel Ricciardo leaving McLaren, his contract ending a year early, and the impact on the rest of the driver market. So in a surprise to absolutely no one, McLaren announced right before the weekend that Danny would not be driving for them in 2023. It was funny. My coworker was like, I can finally turn off the McLaren Twitter notifications. (laughs) (laughs) Been waiting for this announcement for weeks. But the team's statement emphasized that Danny and the team quote, mutually agreed that his contract would end early. Zach Brown's statement included the quote, it's no secret that we hoped we could achieve more together. And I just feel like it's kind of digging the knife in deeper. Everyone knows it. It's very obvious at this point. No need to restate it kind of as you're kicking him out the door. I feel like they could have just kept it all positive. 
Wondering how Zach feels about that Monza tattoo now. Damn, it's like when you get a tattoo of an ex and you can't get rid of it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and Chessa, what were you saying about those those Lando comments? Yeah, Lando made some nice comments, but then he also said to the press that like when the press asked him if he had sympathy for Danny, he basically goes, quote, I hate to say it, but I would say no. People will probably hate me for saying it, but it's difficult. I never know if I might encounter that in the future with this car or with a different team or whatever. So I never want to contradict myself going into the future. I just have to focus on my driver driving. And he basically just added like, I've done a good job at adapting. So is he, but I don't feel like for any driver, you would have to have sympathy, sympathy for them because it's just part of their job. He didn't do as good of a job. So Lando really hitting him where it hurts, but I guess I appreciate the candor. I will add that Christian defended Danny in a sense by saying that this driving right now isn't the real Danny, like it's not really showing his true colors and that hopefully he'll find his mojo again and become a top driver. So basically it kind of turned out as we and many others all predicted that McLaren would force him out, but then say it was mutual when Danny pretty forcefully early in this earlier in the season had publicly emphasized that his contract was through 2023 and that he would be staying. His video was so sad. He clearly Ugh. wasn't. Oh uh, yeah. It was just tough to watch with his sad smile. Uh, and he point blank said, quote, the team decided to make the change. And then later he kind of added in, oh, after discussions, they mutually agreed on an exit. But he definitely got the point across that it was the team's idea. He said he doesn't know what the future holds, but that he wants to stay in F1 and that he's super hungry. My kind of takeaway from the situation, I think McLaren have treated him horribly. I do think he's being overpaid and underperforming and that it made sense for them both to try to negotiate an exit. I don't think they should have to be forced to pay $20 million to a driver who just is not keeping up. But from what it looks like, at least on the outside, they signed another driver behind his back, pushed him out the door when he had a contract. And then on top of it, had their driver and their CEO make mean comments as they kicked him out and then announced that he was leaving before he had another seat in place, which prevented him from kind of making a, oh, look, I'm leaving, but look at this cool new opportunity that I'm so excited for type of announcement. So I'm unhappy with the whole thing. I I just think especially I I like Lando generally, but those comments were just so unnecessary. I completely agree. I stand by my take. I hope I'm manifesting this. So manifest with me, people. My take <laughs> is that Danny is going to Alpine and I want a revenge arc where he shows up for 2023, driving at Alpine, starts driving like 2015 Danny, and then beats Piastri and McLaren. Yeah, I think, Sarah, that would be awesome to see. McLaren is really making some enemies out there with their football team size roster and seemingly no loyalty. So, so many new F1 fans have flocked to McLaren because of Drive to Survive and their media darling, Danny Ricardo, and they've just sort of thrown it in everybody's faces. I'm not totally confident anymore about where Danny is going. He's even hinted on a possible sabbatical and that he wants to stay in F1, quote, only under the right circumstances. Makes me wonder if he's priming us for an exit. I thought in no world would that happen a week ago, but given recent comments now, I'm not so sure, which makes me kind of sad. Um, yeah, I agree. He's been taking it like such a champ. He's been so classy in all the interviews. They had this whole like pre-race segment on him this weekend, and you definitely get the sense that under the surface, obviously, they pushed him out, but he's just giving McLaren so much grace, taking it so well, and he's obviously making it seem more mutual than I'm sure it was. Like, if I were him, I would be throwing a fit, 
And yeah, I really hope he does stay in F1. Like they asked him that in that pre-race interview and he basically said, like, I do want to stay, but only under the right conditions. So I'm feeling like his future is very much in the air right now. And I'm excited to see when they make that new announcement and hopefully get him on a team. Yeah. So all of this begs the question where he could go next, impact on the rest of the driver market, all of those things. I'm sort of like tired of speculating at this point, but that is what we're here for. So reminder of the seats that haven't been announced yet for 2023. We have the empty McLaren and Alpine seats, Joe's seat at Alfa Romeo, Mick's seat at Haas, Yuki's seat at Alfa Tauri, and Latifi's seat at Williams. So options for Danny include Alpine, which seems open to the idea, but there was also news this week from Autosport that Alpine maybe has their eyes on Gasly for the seat. So potentially appealing for the French brand to have two French drivers, but this would be pretty spicy because Ocon and Gasly famously do not get along, but (laughs) Ocon said that he gets along with him now and he would be able to be teammates with Gasly. However, Ocon also said that Mick is his good friend and he would love to have Mick in the seat. If only Ocon, you could pick your teammate based off of friendship, (laughs) but I'm not sure that that's how Formula One works. Unfortunately, we'll see though. Autosport reported that the chain of events could be Gasly to Alpine and then Colton Herta to AlphaTauri, which plot twist that the Red Bull family could get the first American driver. We shall see. Meanwhile, the Piastri situation is still up in the air. It seems like a McLaren announcement is imminent since they can Danny, but Otmar said that they still have uh, a chance to keep Piastri and the case is going before the contract recognition board this week. Otmar, in classic fashion, is keeping the pettiness rolling. He said that he told Piastri in person that he was getting the seat right before the press release and that Piastri, quote, smiled and was thankful, uh, which is crazy. I don't know if that's true, but if it is, wow. But it gets even better. He said that he found out about Piastri's rejection through the tweet. So if Otmar is to be believed, he found out that Alonso was leaving through a press release and then found out also through a press release that his young star driver that they have spent millions developing was ditching him. So wild times all around. Of course, because this is F1, other team principals entirely unrelated to the situation had to give their hot takes. So Toto provided this absolute gem to motorsport about the Piastri situation Quote, I have bigger problems than enjoy to sit on the balcony like in the Muppet Show to watch the show pan out in front of my eyes. I think it's important that junior programs are being respected. I think some of the kids should be wary on Twitter what they say about multinational organizations. But I have no insight into the contracts. I believe in karma. I believe in integrity. But I'm not here to judge because, as they said, I don't know the legal situation. Oh, my gosh. It's scary. Like when Toto's like, I believe in karma. I believe in integrity. Like you better watch out. Karma's real. (laughs) That's why. I love Toto also just saying, I don't know the situation. I'm not here to judge, but karma's real. (laughs) Judgment's coming for you, Oscar. (laughs) So funny. I'm personally a little skeptical about Altmar's comments. I think hopefully, and Toto's comments to, to add those on, I think hopefully, this is all contingent on hopefully Oscar not having horribly incompetent management, but I guess you never know. I hope that any driver kind of competent management wouldn't pull a stunt like this without standing on really strong ground that they have a McLaren deal and that Alpine is trying to force him into a seat without a solid contract. I think Otmar is playing the PR game and playing it up, but only time will tell. 
Yeah, you'd think. It's wild to me that still no announcement, though. I still think this could come down on Alpine's side, and they must think so, too, because if Danny were going to them, I feel like they would have made a coordinated announcement with his McLaren retirement, so it doesn't seem like, I don't know, second choices all around, but who knows at this point. There are also rumors that Danny could replace Mick at Haas. And of course, the rumors have been set aflame by none other than Gunther himself, which I actually, it's a little bit shocking to me. But so basically, Gunther hasn't publicly backed Mick that much recently and basically said that they are unsure and will decide on drivers soon instead of something like, we haven't talked about it yet, but really want to keep Mick, which I feel like he should be doing. Then he said that he hadn't talked to Danny, but he made it seem like he was pretty open to it. So it's definitely a very high-pressure situation for Mick. And then meanwhile, the Williams principal, Jost Capito, said, quote, there is a good chance that Latifi stays at Williams based on his recent improvement. Like, what is that recent improvement? (laughs) I mean. (sighs) Yeah, that's very – that was interesting. Oh, Latifi. So let's keep it going here with other news. Audi formally announced its 2026 entry into F1. They will be their own power unit supplier, so new power unit supplier entering the building. They are probably going to enter the existing Alfa Romeo team as a partnership with Sauber because the Alfa Romeo partnership with Sauber is ending at the end of 2023. As for when the official Porsche announcement will come, we do not know yet. Domeni Kali, in an interview with Martin Brendel this weekend, basically said, it's coming, be patient, enjoy this fun announcement one at a time (laughs) sort of thing. So we'll see. And then speaking of Domeni Kali, he made some offensive comments on women racing in F1. He said he doesn't, quote, see unless something that will be like a sort of meteorite coming into the earth, a girl in Formula One in the next five years. So as we talked about in our Women in F1 special segment earlier in the season. Sadly, it is true that there's a huge pipeline problem. So his statement might be factually true, but the comment is just insensitive and it basically ignores the existence of really strong W Series drivers like Jamie Chadwick and the fact that Tatiana Calderon has just re-entered F2, which is super exciting. So he could have said something like, oh, sadly, there's a pipeline problem. So probably not in the next few years, but I really hope down the road instead of saying, oh, it would be like a meteorite. So like... (laughs) It's so silly. Yeah. Thankfully, there was some pushback. Joe Scapito mentioned how Jamie Chadwick is uh, part of the Williams Academy. She works really closely with the team. And Vettel, of course, Vettel showing up for us said, quote, it was a very unlucky choice of words. I don't see a reason why we can't have a woman on the grid. Speaking of unlucky choice of words, (laughs) although I don't know if unlucky is the way. I think it's just bad choice of words, like you chose them. Or just bad thoughts. I'm like, I don't even know if I want to give him the credit of bad choice of words. (laughs) Exactly. Some comments from Helmut Marco that were just not okay after the after the race on Sunday, and they were just very unfounded. So basically, in response to Checo being slower than Max in Q3, Helmut Marco basically said that Perez's difficulties are quote like the typical ups and downs of a South American. What on earth? It's so. Offensive. I don't even want to. I don't even want to go into what that even could mean. Like in the past. He's also made comments towards Checo about his heritage, saying that the situation in Mexico isn't great or the situation in Mexico City isn't safe, and joking that he was slow at the French GP start, maybe because he'd been drinking tequila the day before. Oh my like, God. I don't – all of this is just so dumb. And then Checo, in a nice little back 
back at you, Marco. He got P2 this weekend, did an excellent race. He wore a massive Viva Mexico giant sombrero in the team photos. So, yeah, a classy way to stick it to him, I guess. But Marco has got to go ASAP. I just – I don't know what's the deal with all these comments. It just makes no sense. It's not okay. It's disgusting. And wrapping up the news on this note, Spot is staying on the calendar for a one-year deal for 2023. So – Hopefully, it'll be a longer deal after that, but we'll take what we can get. You know what we love about our Tacova's cowboy boots? You can wear them all year round and for literally any occasion. Of course, you can wear them at the rodeo or at the ranch, but since we're in New York City, we've been getting creative. I even wore mine with a polka dot dress and tights to Sarah's birthday party at a fun, trendy bar in New York City. Tacova's is Western to their core, and they believe in Western for all, handmaking their boots from the most premium leathers. And if you can't make it to a store, visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and point your toes west. And as a special bonus for you, Tacovas is throwing in a free trucker hat or ball cap worth $30 for all online orders over $100. Just use code F1 at checkout. Again, for a limited time, just enter code F1 at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tacovas. only at Tacovas.com. All right, getting into practice and quali for the weekend. So for practice, there wasn't really a clear dominant team or driver, but of course, Red Bull was looking strong overall. FP1, we had Ferrari 1-2 with Carlos on top. Liam Lawson, the F2 driver, drove for Pierre Gasly. He finished P19, so nothing to write home about, but could have also been the tests or strategy that they were running. Who knows? Botas didn't set a time due to car problems, which was the start of an an unfortunate birthday weekend for him. Very sad. Stroll and Albon, notably in P5 and P6. FP2, Stroll still looking good, question mark. (laughs) Um, And Lando was in P3, sort of as the main highlights there. FP3 was a bit damp, cars slipping around. Checo was the fastest, and Charles hit the wall at turn 12 and caused a red flag, which was a bad, bad omen, unfortunately. So, Quali, first off, Quali was delayed because there was damage to one of the barriers during the Porsche Super Cup, which is one of the support series, and they need to be reca- repaired. So, Quali was delayed. And then a quick note before we get into Quali on the grid penalty, since that was a huge topic this weekend. And for more specifics on how this works, check out our What is a Power Unit episode, which gets more into this. But the TLDR is that if you exceed three power units in a season, you need to take a grid penalty and start at the back of the grid if you take on any new power unit components beyond those three that are allocated for the season. But this gets really complicated on a weekend like this when tons of drivers are exceeding their power unit allocations and thus starting at the back of the grid. So Verstappen, Leclerc, Norris, Ocon, Schumacher, and Joe were all quote-unquote starting at the back. But problem is, how do you define the back when there is six or seven cars starting at the back? So the answer is that for everyone taking the same penalty, the order gets decided by their quality position. But then add in for some additional complication – Botas also got a big grid drop for taking new components, but this was a different penalty because it was a penalty for a specific number of grid positions instead of just, quote, the back of the grid. And so a specific number of penalty starts ahead of the back of the grid. So he got to start in P14. Then, again, because we just have to even make make it even more complicated, Sunoda also took on new power unit components, but they were announced late without 
the appropriate FIA approval, so he had to start from the pit lane. So overall, eight cars this race took engine penalties, so the starting grid was super scattered and super different compared to the qualifying positions. Let's talk about Q1. Max completely dominated. The top four were both of the Red Bulls and the two Ferraris. The big surprise in Q1 was that Albon finished P6, basically splitting the two Mercs on that last flying lap. Way to go, Albon. We love to see it. The people that were eliminated were Vettel, Latifi, K-Mag, Yuki, and Botas. Vettel was beat out by Mick by only two thousandths of a second, so that's definitely got to hurt. And this is the first time Botas has been out in Q1 since Monaco in 2015, and on his birthday weekend, no less. Sorry, Botas, that is not good. Q2. Oh, I know, his birthday weekend. He had such bad luck all I know. weekend. I just sat on the side and had a beer the whole time. That's what I would have done. <laughs> So for Q2, there was definitely some good teamwork here with Ocon towing Alonso and then Lando giving Danny a tow. Given that those two already had penalties, they could kind of take it for the team on that one. Sadly, it did not work out for Danny, who was eliminated. It just, it must be so painful. Like you're trying so hard to make a good showing after the news and then you had your nice little tow and even then you can't, can't pull through. Leclerc did set the best time here in Q2, but was complaining about very strange bouncing on the slow corners And Albon made it through. He was P10, super happy, and the Williams garage was definitely having a moment. So elimination was Danny, Gasly, Joe, Stroll, and Mick. Q3, Max literally only did one flying lap and then went back and sat in the garage and still got fastest by six tenths, which is legend status. Uh, Lando was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? In a video of Max telling him, which was funny. In other news, wishful thinking that Ferrari had figured it out over break. Unfortunately, they put Charles on the wrong tires. They put him on fresh ones, which should have been used later in Q3. Just a very simple blunder that didn't seem to have an explanation. And the radios were so bad. Charles saying, what are these tires? And the pit wall calling it a mistake. Charles was like, what do I do with these tires? And his engineer had to tell him to do the lap anyway. I don't know. Charles later downplayed it and said it wasn't a big deal and that he wasn't annoyed, but it was just so bad. And he was clearly annoyed over the radio. So I don't know. Carlos also made a bit of a mistake, but was still able to pull out second fastest when when Charles managed to give him a nice toe. So a little bit of a silver lining there. Finishing order for Q3, we had Verstappen, Sainz, Checo, Leclerc, Ocon, Alonso, Hamilton, Russell, Albon, and Lando. But as a reminder, which we'll go through, the starting order was very different due to all the penalties. Let's get into the race. It wasn't the most amazing race ever, but it did have some spicy moments, especially at the beginning. There was a lot of midfield traffic and DRS trains, but there were still some nice moves scattered throughout there. Shout out to Ocon, especially. So the starting order, which we'll just review since it was all messed up from all these grid penalties. The first three rows, it was Sainz, Checo, Alonso, Hamilton, Russell, and Albon in P6. So such a chaotic starting grid. Max in P14. Charles was in P15. No one started in the position that they end quality in. So that was wild. At the start of the race for the first lap, we had an amazing start from Sainz. Checo started really angled in towards Sainz to attack off the line, but then Checo had a quite bad start and dropped to P5 going into Uroge, and Sainz had really pulled ahead of the pack. Then by the end of the first lap, Max, who had started on softs, was into P8, and Leclerc was in P10. So they were just 
pedal to the metal getting work done on on the first lap. I'd say the biggest individual drama of this race was the Alonso and Lewis contact right off the bat on lap one. Basically, Lewis tried to pass Alonso on the outside at Lacombe for P2. Alonso was on the inside and was on the curb, and Lewis turned in too early. They made contact. Lewis went very airborne for a second, and Alonso was pissed. His exact quote on the radio is insane, so here it is. Quote, what an idiot closing the door from the outside. We had a mega start, but this guy only knows how to drive starting first. Hot take. Uh, this was our radio of the week. We're giving it to you early because it's just too good. Lewis had some bad damage. He had to stop. There was definitely a very mega angsty video of Lewis walking alone on the path instead of getting like a, a car back to the pits. And then after this, to add to the pettiness, a Reddit sleuth found an onboard video of Alonso waving to Lewis when he passed Lewis's stopped car on the next lap. I just cannot with Alonso. He needs to cut it out. So the stewards found that this was a first lap racing incident, but Lewis also got a warning from the stewards for not going to the medical center immediately because a medical warning went off in his car after the impact. Lewis was incredibly classy, as always. He took full responsibility after the race, and Toto also apologized. Alonso did not walk back his petty comments at all. And then when Lewis was asked about them, he basically said, quote, I don't really have a response to it. I know that's how things feel in the heat of the moment, but it's nice to know how he really feels about me. It's better that it's out in the open how he feels. And like I said, it wasn't intentional. I'll take responsibility for it. That's what adults do. And then if when the interviewer asked him if he would basically try to speak to Alonso after, Lewis was basically like, no, I would have until I heard what he said. So this is definitely very reminiscent of when they were McLaren teammates in 2007 and it had that massive feud. Lewis was just being so nice and conciliatory and Alonso was just being so petty. I honestly think it was so uncalled for. He needs to walk that back. It was so bad. I was really shocked. I Obviously, we all joke about how Alonso's petty, but this was just next level behavior. And what really stood out to me was the quote of this guy only knows how to drive starting first. I get that people are heated on the radio in the heat of the moment when there's a collision and they're like, oh my gosh, what an idiot. But that was a kind of a witty one-liner. It's like he had been holding that back ready for the so moment true. that he could drop that on the radio. I feel like you don't just <laughs> – maybe he's the wittiest man alive, but I feel like you don't just come up with that mid-race after a collision. You don't just come up with that on the spot. So it was just shocking to me. And Lewis, I think it was just – he yeah. was the picture – of sportsmanship. I, we have talked about how classy he is and how good of a sportsman, but him taking full responsibility and still apologizing after that is just – he's such a class act and just drew even more of a contrast between them. I i was very <laughs> unimpressed with Alonzo, to put it mildly. So to get back into what happened next, so on lap two, there was a yellow flag for Lewis, and as the car started to slow down – Latifi wiped out, sadly, and Botas had to swerve to avoid him and went into the grass and gravel and got beached and couldn't restart. So Latifi basically took out Botas on his birthday. For no reason. <laughs> oh, yeah. In Latifi's slight defense, he did get squeezed a bit, but he still basically just went wide into the gravel and totally lost control. So that's that's great. So then there was a full safety car. Charles had to pit under the safety car, which was unplanned because of brake damage. There are tear-off strips on driver's helmet visors. Drivers can peel off the layer during the race if it gets dirty. So a tear-off strip got stuck in Charles's front right brake duct. So he had to pit under the safety car to fix that. And he went on to mediums. 
Mattia later said that the specific tear-off came from Max, and Max said he hoped it wasn't his. He said that with all the drama from Alonso and Lewis and gravel trips on the first lap, he was at the back of the pack getting hit with dirt, so he pulled off the tear-off since he couldn't see. Said he hoped it wasn't his, but that there was debris everywhere. People were pulling stuff off their cars, so it could have been from someone else. Max said that Charles got super unlucky. The streak of bad luck continues. <laughs> After this, Charles dropped to P17 and had to claw his way back. And so let's talk about the teams now. Red Bull, they overall made a one-two look easy after starting in P2 and P14. Just absolutely dominated the entire weekend. That isn't really stating forcefully enough. Like a one-two after starting P2 and P14. I can't even. And we've talked so much about how small margins can be in F1. But Max beat Checo by 18 seconds. And then Checo beat Sainz by 9 seconds. So there was almost a 10-second gap between a Red Bull 1-2 and their nearest competitor. It's another crazy stat to throw in there. By the time DRS was enabled on lap seven, Max was up to P5 and was only six seconds off the lead. He got from P14 to P5 without DRS in seven laps. Unbelievable. Insane. It had seemed like we might get a spicy team order situation, which would have added some excitement, but Max was literally too fast. Around lap 11, Max had caught up to Checo, who was ahead of him in P2, and Max hung around behind him for a bit and then got annoyed on the radio and said that they were losing a silly amount of time. But Red Bull let them fight it out, and then Max just passed Checo on track shortly after in pretty straightforward fashion. And then within only a few laps, Max pulled almost a three-second gap to Checo. So just another indicator of how fast Max was this weekend. On lap 18, Max passed Science for the lead, just kind of blew past him, and cruised to victory from there. But shout-out to Checo. He had a really great race with all-around strong driving, some really great classic Checo defense against Charles at one point. And as I said earlier, really strong performance from the team as a whole. A 2.2 second stop from Checo. They were just looking unbeatable as an overall operation right now. Mercedes, we have already talked about Lewis's lap one incident. Uh, The other news, the hype over the new flexi floor rules crashed and burned as well, to put it mildly. Mercedes had been saying that it expected the performance gap to Red Bull and Ferrari to decrease once the new flexi floor rules went into effect this week, since the rules restricted some flexi floor components that Red Bull and Ferrari had been using to basically bend the rules. Instead, Toto said that quality this week was his worst for a decade. Ouch. He said, quote, you can't be on pole three weeks before, albeit for very different conditions, different track, and then be 1.8 seconds off the pace the next one. So calling it how it is, Lewis said they just need to focus on next year's car for the rest of the season. It'll be hard to balance trying to get Lewis a win and trying to salvage what they can versus just throwing in the towel and putting all of their resources into next year's car. On the somewhat bright side, pretty good race from George who finished in P4. He did a great job of defending from Alonso at the start of the race. Had a nice pass of Charles on lap 16. But I think while it was a decent finish on paper for him, it was, I think he was a bit disappointed with the result and missing out on podium. So, all in all, not the best from Mercedes in what we hoped would be a strong return. So, let's talk about Ferrari. So, first of all, Ferrari's (laughs) strategy, some typical strategy chaos for Charles, who just seems to be very unlucky. 
as we mentioned, he had to pit under the safety car in like the first few laps because of the because of the tear off stuck in the brake duct, and he basically dropped to P seventeen after that. Then on lap nineteen, they tried to call him in for a second pit stop, and Charles was like, "What?" He literally said, "Why would we stop now?" Good for him for setting up for himself on the radio and saying no, um, but he really shouldn't have to do that when he's driving two hundred miles an hour in the first place. The engineer answered that he was looking at a P5 finish. He was currently in P5, which I think is just unbelievable because, first of all, I would give him the props of potentially being able to get past Russell or Signs, and then they're just calling this P5 finish less than halfway through the race. I don't know why they are resigning themselves to anything less than the best. Yeah, he had recovered from P19 – or sorry, he had recovered from P17 to P5. And then they're like, oh, come in for a second early pit stop, and you're on track for a P5 finish. Yeah, <laughs> they're like accepting mediocrity and I'm not here for it. At the very end of the race, Charles, he, as Sarah said, recovered from P17 to P5 and then Ferrari called him in to pit for softs to try to get that fastest lap, basically take the point away from Max, take it for themselves. They thought they had a big enough gap to Alonso behind him to pull it off. He came out on the pits neck and neck with Alonso. Obviously, Alonso passed him because he was still warming up his tires Charles luckily was able to pass him back in the end for P5, but did not get that fastest lap. And really, this just doesn't make any sense given how close Charles had come out to Alonso. Fifth is 10 points, sixth is eight points. So it's definitely better to just go with taking the P5 than to risk getting P6, even if you get that extra point for the fastest lap. I don't even know why we're talking about this, Sarah. Like, we are not strategists, but we can still see this. Um, I don't know what they were thinking. I know, it's crazy. Like, Red Bull had been... I guess we had just been criticizing them for accepting mediocrity. And so in one sense, it's good to go for it. But in another sense, Red Bull, it's not like they were close on pace to Red Bull. The Red Bulls were so much faster all race and have an easy one, too. They're obviously going to get the fastest lap. And so you're risking losing two points and getting P6 for the mere chance of getting one. Yeah, like I don't know why they can't weigh those things off themselves. Um, Maybe we should just submit our CVs to Ferrari and become the new strategist. Put us in, coach. <laughs> uh, that same tear-off that had caused Charles's early pit stop came back to haunt him again. Um, it's just the small piece of plastic plus the terrible Ferrari strategy situation going on. Poor guy. But basically, the plastic caused a sensor to fail, so Ferrari had to use other sensors to measure his speed. The pit lane limiter didn't get his speed under the limit like he was supposed to. He speeded in the pit lane. As a result, he got a five-second penalty for exceeding the pit lane limit, so Even though he finished P5, that penalty dropped him to P6 anyways. And then lastly, on the other hand, Sainz looked really great with his P3 finish. He had some great tire management. As we've seen sometimes this season, the tires can dig and then get a second wing and pull that off. I think he was really one with his tires. So overall, I just think, you know, Ferrari did not have the pace to challenge Red Bulls this weekend, but the drivers and Sainz in particular had really solid race had had a really solid race and definitely worked with what they had. Just hopping through the other teams pretty quickly, McLaren, we had Lando in P12. He had started at the back with grid penalties, but still kind of disappointing. He had hoped to make up more ground. But Danny started P7 and ended P15, like literal SOS. And as I was saying, I'm so sad with how McLaren's treated him that I kind of wish, oh, I just don't want anything that further reaffirms McLaren here, but that's a pretty tough result. Alpine, in contrast, they had a really good weekend overall with Alonso P5 and Ocon P7. Alonso had a great weekend, but we're not going to dwell on that given his <laughs> pettiness levels. 
Ocon, though, had some really great wheel-to-wheel racing. At one point, as Tiggy mentioned earlier, at one point he passed both Gasly and Vettel at the same time on the outside at around 200 miles an hour to move into P7. So very impressive. Haas, on the other hand, pretty bad. P16 for KMAG and P17 for Mick. Both got lapped, and it's a super long, it's the longest circuit on the calendar, so it's pretty hard to get lapped, but they pulled it off. Uh, and Mick has got to be pulling out all the stops here to impress Gunther, and that didn't quite happen. So hopefully with this triple header, he can jump back in for next weekend. I personally really hope he stays. Yeah. So, sad. For Alfa Romeo, Botas had a DNF on his birthday, just tragic, and we had Joe ending in P14. Alfa Tauri, Gasly was P9, nothing spectacular, but this is his first points in five races, so that's something. And then we had Yuki P13. Last couple teams here, Williams, as we have mentioned, it was a great weekend from Albon, his first Q3 appearance this year and a points finish in P10. Super exciting for him and the team coming off the news that he's staying with them for a few years. Will he be a strong number one for them next year? Unclear who his teammate will be, but he is looking pretty good. Meanwhile, Latifi finished P18 and last of the cars that finished after starting P11. So not making a great case for himself here when Jost is just trying to give him a chance. We shall see. And then lastly, Aston Martin. It was a great weekend from Vettel in P8. Best result for the team since Vettel's finish in Baku. He had a great start and was up in the mix for a lot of the race in the P5, P7 region. And Stroll also looked fast at points this weekend and finished P11. So overall, not too bad and not bad for Aston Martin is a huge win for them considering how horribly their season has been going. So good to see that. So final thoughts on the race. We ended in the following order. Max, then Checo, then Sainz, Russell, Alonso, Leclerc, Ocon, Vettel, Gasly, and Albon cinching that last P10 points. For our radio of the week, we said it before, but it's just Alonso pettiness all the way. Too much to cover again. (laughs) So for drivers, Max is still ahead He's now 93 points ahead. He has 284 points. And Checo, as we said, is in second ahead of Charles. Checo is 191 points. Then we have Charles with 184 and Sainz with 171. So the Ferrari drivers are pretty close there in P3 and P4. And then in P5 and P6, we have the Mercedes drivers. In Constructors, Red Bull is over 100 points ahead with 475. Ferrari has 357. Then Mercedes is in a pretty close third with 316. Alpine is pulling ahead in that battle for fourth. They now have 115 and McLaren has 95. With that, thanks for tuning in. We are so excited for the Dutch Grand Prix next weekend. We will come at you with a preview in the next few days and we can't wait to talk to you all more this week.